1 Timothy chapter 5, at the very end of chapter 5, looking at verses 17 all the way through chapter 6, verse 2. I kind of look like they kind of went together and, you know, a lot of what what we've seen kind of starting back in chapter before, Paul is just given like bam, 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 you know, just, you know, quick little jabs about how to um, work as a pastor, about how to lead as a church um, and to lead your church well, to raise up good leaders. And me and Josh last week, you know, we talked about um, widows and we talked about which ones should be given financial support, which ones should be uh, brought in into the shepherding of the church and, uh, you know, their qualifications and stuff like that. And then today, as we'll start in verse number 17, we're going to kind of, I don't know if I think y'all both like the picture on the tabernacle page, but the the topic of today's thing is um, church leaders. And so we're going to be looking at elders. Do what? Okay. I don't know. Who knows what Wally's doing? Anyways, uh, today we're going to be looking at church elders, um, kind of where we start off at. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verse 17. So we'll be at the end of chapter 5 and then going into chapter 6. Honor of the elders. Honor of the elders. So I'll uh, begin at verse 17 and then um, we'll read to the end. So verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not attempt, nope, do not admit a charge against uh, an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Verse 22 says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor, part, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but only use a little. But use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going about or God, I cannot read tonight. Going before them to judgment, but the sin of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not, uh, that are not, cannot remain. Oh my gosh, why can I not read tonight, Josh? So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who, are believing, who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since they... Those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Sorry, I don't know why I can't read tonight. Anyways, we'll get back to verse 17. Uh, begin to walk through what Paul has for Timothy. So a lot of what we've seen, right? We've talked a lot about um, where do we start off at? What was the first thing we kind of talked about? I think Andrew might have been the only one that was here that night. Or what have been, what have been some main topics throughout um, First Timothy? He might have been. Paul was just talking to Timothy about being a good pastor. All right, being a good pastor. And what does he look out for? What should he look out for? False doctrine. False doctrine, all right? That's where we began, right? He says, look out for the false teachers, right? Look out for the ones who uh, are proclaiming a wrong message, who are giving not, not preaching sound doctrine. Find them within the church or maybe even outside the church and to preach against them, right? Stop that from happening. And we saw, and even Josh has just mentioned, and... Um, or as we all have just kind of talked about so far, right? The church is uh, supposed to be elevated by the pastor and its leaders. And that's what Paul is wanting to do throughout his letter to Timothy. He wants to show him how to be a good pastor, given by scenarios and how he should react to certain different things um, and, and how he should move forward in his ministry. Today is just like anything else. He's given another scenario, another thing for him to be looking out for when looking at um, and, and as being a pastor. 
And he starts off by saying, All elders who rule will be considered worthy of double honor. Okay? Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So what is he trying to tell Timothy here? We looked at a few weeks ago, right? We talked about the elders. What kind of elders are supposed to be inside the church? Or what kind of leaders are we looking for? I think that might be back in chapter number three. Faithful. Yep, faithful elders, faithful leaders. And you remember, we, we remember back to, he gave like a huge list of like people you should look for, right? And we kind of came to the conclusion. We'll go back to that main idea real quick and see what we got, see what we had, read it real fast. Oh, I didn't write it down there. Let's see. Oh, I think that was might have been. Okay, here we go. Leaders in the church must serve well to support the, li- the life-giving power of truth it proclaims. And um, But we just see, right, that Paul is proclaiming to Timothy, right, find these good people, right? Find these good elders, find these good leaders in the church. And when they serve well, they are worthy of honor, all right? So when we think of honor, what do we think of? Yeah, what is honor? In a way. Okay, yeah, to have honor so that, um, okay, I, I could see kind of a, a sense of, of pride in, in a way. Whenever I want to honor somebody, let's say if I, I, honor, um, I honor a dead loved one, what am I doing? I'm kind of remembering them in a way, right? I'm kind of, huh? Yeah, having a funeral service, and you're, um, you know, you're remembering them, right? You're giving them honor. You're almost praising them in a way, right? You're giving them, um, I guess, almost even your attention. And we kind of looked at last week, and as I was reading through some of the commentaries, this word honor is kind of focused towards a financial support, a financial giving of, of something. So last week we looked at they were talking about the widows and the ones who, who need the financial support. It said that you need to find the ones who are worthy of honor. Find the ones who are worthy of giving financial support. And what we find out here in what he says in verse 17 is that the elders who serve well deserve double honor. They deserve double financial support. And he says especially of those who labor in preaching and teaching. So in this verse, we kind of get the basis on the paying of pastors and the paying of church leaders. Um, Paul is almost sanctioning this to Timothy and saying, you know, if someone's doing a good job in your church, they're serving well, they're leading well, especially the ones who are teaching and preaching, right? Provide them some financial support, right? Allow them to be paid uh, for what they're doing. Why? Why, why? why should we pay our pastors? What do you think? Do they deserve it or do they not deserve it? They deserve it. All right, why do you think they deserve it? Okay. So I guess, I guess we can talk about it in the sense of wages. Why do we deserve any wages that we get, right? We've all, we all have a job. We all or at least had a job. What, why do we feel like we deserve wages? Because you're, you're putting in the work, right? I think that is exactly what we're looking for, right? As I, as I clock in every day at 8 o'clock, right, you're not going to do anything for free, especially laborious work, right? And we, we see kind of what Paul's getting to here. These elders and these pastors, they are doing laborious work in providing for the church, in teaching the church, in leading the church. Right? Don't let them just do it for free. Right? Not that they should expect payment. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. Right? I think these elders and these leaders, if you find them in the right way, they won't be there to expect payment. But they do it um, for the service of the Lord, and the church pays them for that uh, wonderful service. Right? And even even now, right, I get paid um, here at Tabernacle for the things I do for the college class. A lot of the, back in the past when I used to go and um, I don't wouldn't really call it traveling, preaching, but I would get invited to go preach in places. Um, there would be some times where the pastor would just give me some money for uh, basically thanking me for putting in the work of study, putting in the work of uh, studying the word of God that I might teach it to his congregation and even teach it here tonight. And so that's what Paul is kind of leaning into. And we lean into where he's saying he kind of gets his point from. He says, The Scriptures say, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborers deserve his wages. 
So he's kind of saying, like, I'm not getting this from anywhere, right? I'm getting this from Scripture. All right, go for it. You're good. Awesome. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So she had surgery today? Yeah, I just got a text from my dad because I, I had honestly. Was it your dad's sister? Yeah. Okay, cool. And she, like, she had it, like, oh, like a really rare cancer. <sighs> and I think, like, you know how they, like, put, like, artificial in her, like, chest and everything when they're done with it? Yeah. The thing they put in there, like, the type got, like, recalled or something. So they had to take it out and Gotcha. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but she made out surgery. Awesome. Well, we're glad to hear that. Praise the Lord. Awesome. And so, I mean, I think as we continue where we're at tonight, right, that he gets all this from Scripture, right? And and I think a lot of what even we should see today, as you proclaim the word to any of your friends, as our pastor Stephen proclaims the word to anybody in the congregation, where would you hope that his... his uh, arguments and thoughts would come from or even when i teach right where do we, where would you hope that my arguments about scripture would come from you would hope that i'm getting all my information from scripture right why because it's trustworthy right we believe that this is the word of god second timothy 3 i think 14 16 maybe all scriptures breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness right that's what we believe the word of god is we believe it has been inspired. We believe that it's been breathed out by, um, by God to, to people. And so we see that he says he gets this from Scripture. The first thing that we see is from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, which says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So what does that mean? What does it mean to muzzle, muzzle something? Anyone know what a muzzle is? Put something over it, right? And so, go ahead. Right, in like you go, you can put a muzzle on the end of a pistol, yeah. or or any I guess any kind of gun, right? And it's supposed to either reduce recoil or or it's holding something back, right? Yeah. It is it is uh, in the way of something else. And so what we see in Deuteronomy that God was proclaiming to uh, Moses and the people of Israel at that time is He's saying, "Don't muzzle an ox when it is driving out the grain." So what we see is that the ox would be working, right, and plowing the field or, or going through and collecting the grain, and it would be eating the grain as it would be working, right? And so it was almost kind of an um, incentive to keep working, right? And so what we see is he's saying, don't muzzle the ox, right? Don't put anything over its mouth so it can't eat while it does this, right? Allow it to eat, allow it to um, fulfill itself and to uh, be provided for while it works. And so he's saying, do this for the preachers. The next thing that we see, which is kind of interesting to me, he says the laborer deserves his wages. And so where do you think in, in the Bible that this would come from? So I guess we got to start off by saying, what do we view, what do we think Paul views as Scripture? Or I guess what is our Scripture? We'll start there. What is our Scripture? The Bible. The Bible, right? New and Old Testament, okay? And so what do we think Paul views as Scripture? Do what? All right. So I guess in our we have our canon of Old and New Testament. Which one would Paul view as scripture? Old, especially right. Specifically old, right? And so what's interesting to me is you know this is just kind of something um, outside of maybe today's lesson. Just I think is kind of cool. He quotes out of Luke chapter number ten, verse seven. So. In the New Testament. So we, we recognize Luke as in the New Testament, right? It was being written during this time. And so what's kind of interesting to me is the first thing he mentions is from Deuteronomy, which is our Old Testament and his, I guess, Bible at that time. And then he quotes another time out of Luke, right? And so Luke was not even uh, classified as Scripture yet, right? It wasn't even made a, into a canon of uh, Scripture as a new and old, old and New Testament until I learned this right now, and I wish I could remember it, but it's at least not till 300 A.D., right? So 300 years after Christ is officially when the church kind of came together and said, this is our, our canon of Scripture. So it's kind of interesting that Paul would view this as Scripture, right, as he, as he says it at the beginning of 18. Um, 
So is there any questions about that? That's just kind of like something extra along there. All right, cool. So then he finally closes in this elder part in verse number 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so the first thing we see is we should find the elders who are working hard, who are giving their all to the church, provide them some honor, provide them some with some financial support, excuse me, because of their service. Now he's saying, don't admit a charge against an elder unless you have two or three witnesses. So why, why do you think that's the case? Right. Yeah. Right. He could be lying. Right. He could just be have something against this elder, and he could be trying to uh, revile him. He could be trying to just throw him to the side just because he doesn't personally like him. Right. And so what we see is Paul is trying to build his culture of these elders. Number one, we already saw earlier that he told Timothy to make sure you find some good elders. Right. People that are above reproach. That way, when things are brought against them. It's like no question because it's like that's just not who Andrew is, right? I know that's not who Andrew is, right? You're you're bringing up this accusation against him, but personally I know that that's not him because I picked him because he was above reproach. But even if it is true, right, he's saying make, find some people, find some extra people who it's not just this guy saying it, right? If Josh just comes in here and starts talking to Andrew and saying, you know, Nichols was outside doing donuts in the parking lot, it's like, I've never seen Nichols do donuts in, in any parking lot, right? So do you have proof, right? Do you have any idea? And Can you show me that he actually did this, right? It's like, well, go look at the tire marks, right? And so, But we see, right, Paul is saying, find some other people who, who can back this up. But then we move into where he says in verse number 20, but if there are people who persist in sin, what should they do? What does it say right after those? It says, as, as for those who persist in sin, what should Timothy do? Fear. All right. Make them stand in fear. So that's kind of an interesting thing, right? These people who are persisting in their sin, the first thing he says to do is rebuke them in the presence of all. All right. Now, how does that feel? Imagine, imagine, all right, let's, let's think about this. All right, I, I, I've, I've sinned this week, right? There's no doubt in my mind that I've sinned this week, right? We could probably all say that. Imagine that our sin is known to everyone in the church. Not only is it known, but during a Sunday morning service, Pastor Stephen brings us up, right, before, before he even starts to preach, right? Choir's already sung. We sung our seven songs, and the choir's sung. We step up, or Pastor Stephen begins to step up, and he opens up. He doesn't even open his Bible yet, right? He lays his Bible down on the podium, and he says, Josh, come up here for a second. Or I'll, I'll use me as an example. Nicholas, come up here for a second. I'll be like, okay, <laughs> right? I'm already embarrassed, right? Why, why do you want me up here? I get up there, and he's like, all right, listen, church. Nicholas has sinned this week. Not only does he just say that Nicholas has sinned this week. I'm trying to think of a... Anyways, he tells the entire church that I've sinned. And he looks at me and says, you should never do that again, right? He says it sternly, right? He says it, um, he says it seriously, right? And this is what Paul is, is saying to do. Right? How does that sound to us? Awful, right? And so you have me in front of the church... Y'all were sitting in the congregation. Now, what what are you going to do? All right, be in shock. You're not going to want to sin anymore. That's exactly right, right? That's what Paul is trying to tell Timothy to do. Rebuke these people. But it's not just anyone, right? It's not just the ones who sin just by accident, right? What kind of people are we looking for? What does the very first part of verse 20 say? Okay, right before that, I think. Those who are. All right, those who are what? Those who are sinning rebuke. Okay, he just says sinning? Yeah. Okay, sinning. So these people who are constantly sinning, right? That's what we're looking for, right? And I think even in the ESV it says persist in sin. So we're looking at these people. Paul says, all right, there's these people who are the elders, right? They are 
they should be provided financial support if they are serving well, right? They are doing good things for the church. They are constantly serving the church, right? Provide them something good. And if somebody brings up an accusation against them, don't don't let it just don't don't just make a quick decision on it, right? Make sure you have some people. But if there are some people out there who persist in sin or who are sinning, right? Who are constantly doing these things who it's known to everybody that they are continuously sinning, rebuke them in front of everybody, right? Put the fear of God in them, right? Make the church know that their sin will be brought out in front of the church. And so it's not just, um, it's not to shame them. Right? It's to show them that they're being held accountable by their church. It's to show them that they're being um, watched by their church, that they their church is cons- um, worried about their holiness, and so, you know, when I grew up, I came from a church where I just, I didn't talk about my sin, right? It just wasn't, it wasn't common. Anything, if anything, I hid my sin. I, I, I didn't want to tell anyone about my sin. Why? Because we're shameful of that sin, right? We don't want anybody to know the things that we do wrong. We don't know, I don't want people to know the things that I watched in my bedroom when I was by myself, right? I don't want people to know what I did, right? Why would I tell others that? But when I came to college, something about the BCM, I, there was a different kind of culture. People wanted to know, right? People called me out on my sin. People told, asked me on a weekly basis, are you reading in your Bible? And I would answer no. But then there became a point where I began to read that way. The next time they asked, I'd been able to say something, right? But these people weren't doing it and, and asking me these things and confronting my sin because they wanted to shame me. They wanted me to be better, right? They wanted me to pursue righteousness in a better way, right? And so what we see Paul proclaiming to Timothy and teaching to Timothy here is to strive your people towards holiness, right? Strive your people, your elders, your leaders, all of those around you, even you yourself, to strive for holiness. And he says, even going forward in verse 21, who are we doing this in the presence of? You got the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. The word prejudging here in the ESV, I'm not, I'm not sure what yours might say, um, but it means to uh, judge without adequate information. And then fa- partiality is just favoritism. right? So he's saying as you do this, right, as you confront people with their sin, the ones who are constantly sinning and who do not show any signs of of wanting to pursue righteousness and wanting to get better, rebuke them. Rebuke them in the presence of God and of Jesus and of the elect angels. I charge you to keep these rules and and do it with the right information and don't show show partiality, right? Don't show favoritism um, to anybody. So we got elders, right? They should be provided financial support for their worthy service. We have the people who are persisting in sin or who are uh, habitually sinning, right? These people should be confronted. These people should be uh, brought towards the church and and shown towards the church that they really need help, right? They need help to pursue uh, holiness and pursue righteousness. The The next thing we see in verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. All right, what does this mean? What does it mean to lay on hands? He's mentioned this before later on, um, or earlier uh, about Timothy, right? That the elders of the church laid their hands on him. And so why did they lay their hands on him? You remember what they did? All right. And so what we see throughout Scripture, we see it in Acts, um, we see it here in Timothy. What the elders of the church would do, they would lay their hands on someone, and they would basically pass the Holy Spirit on to them. Or, and maybe not necessarily specifically the Holy Spirit, but pass on gifts of the Holy Spirit. We see Paul mentioned to Timothy that the, the uh, elders of the church laid their hands on Timothy. They prayed over him and they gave him and told him that he'd have the, this calling of being a pastor. And so what we have seen moving forward is that Paul is kind of showing amongst his church that there are people who are... Um, you know, we bring out this idea of being an elder, right? That this should be paid, all right? And that sounds like a pretty good gig, right? And so as a church member, I'd be like, heck, I'll go be an elder, right? I'll go, I'll go serve the church and, and teach, and, and man, you can pay me. 
But what Paul is trying to say is that there's people out there who don't necessarily need to be in this position, right? There's people who are constantly in sin. Make sure you find out who those are. There's people who are doing certain things that are not, they shouldn't be qualified to be an elder, right? Especially if you're going to show and maybe even advertise that you're going to pay somebody, right? Anybody's going to show up. Don't be hasty on passing on this gift, right? Don't be hasty of accepting people into the fold without knowing who they are, right? Don't be hasty in laying on your hands in them, nor partake, take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure, right? So this is not only just a call for Timothy to look at his church and see their purity, but Paul says to what? Also keep yeah, keep yourself pure, man. Right? Keep yourself pure. You know what? You know we have a word for people like that. We have a word for people who who don't keep themselves pure, but for some reason they always seem to find everybody else in purity. What do we call that? Hypocrite. hypocrite, right? Man, we got hypocrites everywhere, right? Personally, I've probably been a hypocrite myself, right? We 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 see we recognize this amongst people. So as a pastor, especially for here in Timothy, what Paul's trying to say, man. If you're going to be doing all this, if you're going to be bringing people in front of the church and you're going to be telling them about their constant sinning and, and you're going to rebuke them in front of everybody, you better best better keep yourself pure. Don't partake in their sin, right? Don't partake in the things of them. Because if you're going to be condemning them, or maybe not condemning is not, not the right word, if you're going to be rebuking them and, and trying to help them pursue holiness, you too better pursue your holiness. And then the next thing is kind of an interesting thing. I think we kind of mentioned this a few weeks ago. What's verse 23 say, Andrew? It says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your money points Okay, so what does Paul just tell Timothy? This is kind of like a random little <laughs> side note. Drink a little wine, right? Go ahead. Don't, don't like abuse it. Okay, don't abuse don't it. Use it. All right. So what we find out is Timothy is, um, he's not necessarily sick, but he has frequent ailments or he has, he has frequent infirmities. All right. And so when I think of infirmities, I think of like, I would think I would maybe in a way, right? Maybe it's like, all right, let's, let's think about, let's think about, um, let's think about then, right? All right. How clean do we think that water was? Oh, not, clean. not clean at all. Right. They don't, they didn't have little. That bottle of wine. So what we, what we find out is, you know, we, they didn't have a water faucet and they didn't have them a little, I don't even know what you call them things, but anyways, a water filter on their thing, right? They don't have a filter of any kind. The water is maybe clean, but it's not always clean, right? It's going to give you, it's going to get you sick sometimes, right? And so we see through the process of fermentation, right, with wine, alcohol was safer to drink in those days because it was cleaner in a way. Right. But what we find out, you know, Paul just said, right, don't take in, don't take part in their sins. Right. And so you kind of mentioned, right, don't only drink water, drink a little wine. And you mentioned the aspect of uh, don't drink too much. Right. Don't abuse it. it. And so what we find out is um, so we see Timothy's not drinking wine at this moment. If he was, Paul would have told him to. So why wouldn't Paul Timothy be drinking wine? What is he trying to do? Be pure, right? He's trying to show people in Ephesus, right? <clears throat> I'm not going to drink wine. Not at all, right? Even, I don't think that, you know, obviously we see that Paul's not condemning wine right here in this in, in this instance, right? He's saying to use it. He's saying to drink it. But we see the aspect of abuse, right? And so what Timothy was trying to do, even in the midst of being this pastor, he's trying to show his church, right? I'm not here just to drink and, and to have a good time, right? He didn't even drink wine, right? He was trying to show the rest of the world, right? I'm not like everybody else. I, I'm trying to be different. But Paul's saying, hey, man, drink drink a little bit, right? It helps your stomach, right? He's obviously, and he knows Timothy's smart. He knows Timothy's wise. He knows Timothy's not going to abuse that drinking of wine, right? Drink a little bit, right? It'll help you, right? It'll help you from drinking, stop drinking that nasty water. So it's kind of a, an interesting and a funny little side note. And, and you know, what do we see about Paul's character by adding a little in my body? And this ESV it has parentheses around it. So what what kind of character do we see about Paul towards Timothy? Huh? Father figure. Father figure, right? He cares about him. 
He cares enough to know number cares enough to know number one. He knows that he's sick, right? He knows that he has frequent ailments, and he cares enough too to try to give him a little remedy, right? You know, he he's been proclaiming to him all these uh, biblical truths, or, or he's been teaching them him all throughout this. But we see this little glimpse of his care towards Timothy. I'm not saying that you haven't seen that all throughout Timothy, but we see it specifically here, right? He cares for Timothy. He loves Timothy. He wants Timothy to be successful in the things that he does. So then verse 24 through 25, we kind of close this part uh, of sin. It says, The sins of some are conspicuous. What what does your Bible say? Verse 24. Some men's sins are clearly evident, leading them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. All right. So this word conspicuous is exactly what your your Bible says, right? They're clearly visible or they uh, draw attention to themselves. So what we see that there's there's some there's sin in the world and there's two kinds really there's some that are obvious right it's there's some that are obvious to themselves i uh, think of people who do drugs in the way right it, it shows itself eventually right um it shows itself in 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 a sense there's some um you know being drunk right it's obvious when somebody's drunk right you know when somebody's drunk but then there's some sins that are not easy to see right some sin that doesn't appear right away some sin that appears later and so Watch out for that, right? Watch out for the ones, especially for the ones who, who show you their sin, right? Who are uh, who it's evident, right? Who it, when it precedes them and before they are even judged, right? The judge already knows what they've done before they even walk into the courtroom. But there's this other kind who the ones are sly, right? I would say a lot of my sin is easy to hide. Right? A lot of my sin is easy to hide, and that's not good, right? That's not safe. My sins. Um, easy to keep a lot of sin, really, and maybe not just my sin, but a lot of sin are easy to keep behind closed doors, or to keep behind, um, keep from your pastor finding out, finding out, keep from your mom finding out, keep from anyone finding about out about your sin, right? And it's not going to show up until later. It's not going to, um, and, and and by that point, the sin's already really taken root in you. It's going to be kind of hard. Well, I'm not saying it's impossible, but right, the sin is sin is in you, and it takes a moment. Yeah, you got to raise your hand. Or, Okay. So it's interesting, right? Paul's like, look out for this. Look out for these people. And both stand in need of help, right? Both stand in need of of Paul of Timothy to proclaim to them the, the goodness and the graciousness of God. And then the same thing is true for good works, is what he says. Some good works are conspicuous, even those that are that cannot remain hidden. So in the same way that sin will bring itself out, the good works will also bring itself out. And so we see through what we've seen so far is that Paul is really um, trying to find a good way to almost decipher between when people are in sin and when people are not in sin. The people who are doing the good works, it's going to show itself. Eventually there's going to be that day where you all have a good... um, I'll have a good lunch, and, and now you need somebody to clean clean the church, right? Now you need somebody to, to pick up after everybody. Not everybody wants to do that, but there's going to be some people who will show you that they're willing to do that, right? Their good works will be shown. Then there's some who, um, on, the other, on the other side of it, right, you don't know if they're sinning, but then there's that point where you realize, right, that sin is in their life. And you've got to look out for both of them. So then we finally close with um, bond servants. And then we'll kind of talk about what it means. So, verse uh, 1 of chapter 6, Let all of those who are under a yoke of as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So the same name, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. All right, so we first uh, look at chapter 6, verse 1. We look at the idea of a servant, okay? We think of a servant who's a Christian, the scenario that Paul's given here. The servant's a Christian, and he's saying, Regard your master, who is a non-Christian, with all honor. So why would that be hard? Why would it be hard to regard your master with high honor as a Christian, and maybe he's not a Christian? Y'all are a lot different, right? He works you hard, right? He uh he doesn't have any care for you maybe right he he he's as not a Christian he doesn't respect God he might not even respect you and and that'd be hard to work for for somebody like that but Paul says yeah and that's a hard place to be in right.
shit. No, I get that. I get that. It is what it is, right? It's tough. And it's tough to listen to stuff like that. It's it is, right? And and I think even in that situation, right, we see what Paul says in verse 1 here, and he says, work hard for him, right? Show him what it means for a good Christian to work hard, right? With me, too, it's like, I'm not trying to get off track. No, you're good. I think like it's on track. For me, like, it opened up a new stage. Like, that's the first dude I've ever encountered that says, like, no, I do not believe in God whatsoever. Mm. Like all, like I've dealt with friends that are like Christians or not even Christians, like they believe in God, but like not really. Yeah. I guess you could say that's the first time someone has told me straight up, like, no, I don't believe in any of that. And and that's an interesting way, uh, and that's an interesting thing that you got to begin to work through, right? Because then you even begin to question, even amongst yourself, why do I even believe what I believe? As soon as he told me that, Mm -hmm. the devil jumped on that right away. Yeah. I started doubting. And I think that's healthy, right? And I just, you go, you pray at night, and then yeah. you wake up the next morning. I've been trying to do my um, studies in the morning when I first get up, and then it's just like all the doubts go on yeah. after that, like your quiet time. I like For that. No, I like that. I like that. I do mine in the morning also, or at least uh, I, 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 tend, I try to. better, because like, when I do it at night, I, I get so tired, it's like I rush through it. Yeah, I get and that. I still got to work on not rushing through it. That's that's my main problem. Just like trying to get it done so I can go do something else. Yeah, I get that. But I did the same thing. In the morning, I felt bad like I can actually like sit down and like I, I haven't even been reading like out of the word. I've been like starting off with the um, the little books yeah. he handed out and like writing down stuff and everything and then like I'll probably end up reading this. No, I like that. I, I like, like that. A lot. I like that. And, and I think you know as as people in your life come to you like that right I, I have a friend of mine who is that way right he he does not believe in God and I've had many conversations with him but it's healthy because it begins to make you think man why do I even believe what I believe and I and it's healthy to ask those questions honestly I think you should be asking those questions as you begin to uh, f- decipher through your life and and I think as we I, ask those questions I go ahead noticed it, like a whole lot more ever since I got saved yeah yeah. Ever. Like, I've noticed a lot more doubt yeah. as well. But you just got to come to realize with me, like, I got over that. Like, when I first got home, it was really hard. Like, going back to my friends and everything. Because, like, they're all, like, cussing on the Xbox and everything. And, like, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, I cuss, too, all the time still. I still got to work on stuff like that. Yeah. But, like, the thing is, is, like, now I just feel like I'm so much certain about it. Yeah, I feel that. And it's just, it's still weird because I feel like I'm still early on and that's okay. I just still have a lot of learning. Oh yeah, there's definitely a lot of learning to do. And and in learning we see, uh, we have growth and growth hurts. Man. Growth, hurt. growth hurts. And, and And I think as we go through stages where we face doubts or where we face times where we see sin is in our life and like, man, how am I going to, how am I ever going to get past this? Right. And I think a lot of it grounds in that you don't do it alone. Right. That's, that's one, that is one thing that the devil will try to get you to do, right. To, to face your sin alone and to face your doubts alone. And that's a scary place to be. The funny thing is too, is how we're talking about false doctrines right now. That TikTok app, Oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. I even talked to my friend about this. I'm like, dude, it's all wrong. Like, people post on there, and it's like, what I get from most of those videos is just like, to be a Christian, you have to be a perfect person. And it's like, no, that's that's not it. And me and him, he's he's a, like, I haven't asked him to come with it tonight yet, but I got the idea to ask two of my friends. Yeah. They got it. Yeah, they definitely got it. The one's going through a breakup right now. I know he's definitely got it. He posts on a story like um, Bible quotes all the time. He's really smart, too. But Need to meet him. I think he's got it. I mean, he's still really early on. Like, I am. But Kyle, I think, I think we're all just kind of trying to lear
That'd be cool. I'd anyway, love, I'd love to meet him. Still. No, I like it. I, I think I mean, that's what we're here for, right? I'm not here just to talk the whole time. You know, you can stop me whenever, whenever. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think that's good, right? You, you recognize. And what I began to see is I began to grow up. And as you begin to learn more, you begin to recognize more. You begin to recognize false teaching. Right? You begin recognizing sin within yourself. And it all, I think, the point of when you begin to see growth in your life is when you decide, what am I going to do now? Right? Am I going to, I hear false doctrine, right? Am I going to let it keep happening? Am I going to let it fill my mind? Or am I going to confront it? I'm going to tell people that um, now that's not right, right? That's that's wrong, right? That's that's wrong teaching. This is what the real true teaching is. I see sin in my life. All right, I recognize that sins in my life, or I even recognize that sins in my friend's life. What am I going to do? Am I going to change my life? Am I going to repent from what I know is wrong and, and turn to what is right, right? And and that's a hard hard thing to do. And 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 if we look at what he's saying here. I think as Christians, and and I think. You know, servants is mentioned here, and, and in a way, all of us are, are servants to somebody, right? We have a job, we have a boss. They're, we're, we might not have the term servant, but they're, we're their employee. As their employee, I should want to work as hard as I can as a Christian, number one, because I'm bringing honor to God, right? My work, my service, my good service is showing this man that a Christian knows how to work, right? A Christian knows how to not only just work, but work hard, right? Work good for them. That the main the name of God will be uh, will not be reviled. That the teaching of God will not be reviled, which means to be uh, to critique with anger. All right, so we we think about this. We think about you know, if, let's say I want to witness to my boss. Maybe my boss is maybe like the one that Andrews kind of mentioned, right? Someone who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't uh, want to believe in God. But they seen that Nicholas, man, he's been working hard for these past six months. He says he's a Christian. You know, he talks about how he goes to church and stuff like that. He talks about how you know he wants to go to seminary. He wants to be a pastor, and you know he works pretty hard, right? But there's that one day, right? I might ask him a question about you know God, about maybe why he doesn't believe in God, right? And and then they're more apt to answer you, more apt to you know want to tell you about maybe their beliefs because why? You serve them well, right? You show that you're just a good guy, right? You show them that you're a good person, that that you um, that you're not going to get mad at them, that you're not going to, you know, curse them because of who they are, right? You show them that they're uh, that this teaching about God is something that's really affected me, right? And I think, you know, we we see this in in our culture. People are more apt to listen to you when you truly when you say that you believe something and then you truly live it, right? You know, I think about things in my life, right? I, I have made certain decisions in my life to, uh, to, to be where I am, and people question me, right? You know, one that I've made is right that I would never um, have sex before marriage, right? And people are like, "Man, how are you doing that, right? How? Why would you do that, right? You know, grow, you know, all throughout my life, right? As I, as I've, I had a girlfriend in high school, and you know, as I have one now, right? Not that it's not hard to, to fight those temptations, but people are like, "Why do you? Why do you fight it, right?" Why do you do this, right? Why do you make that decision or maybe even drinking, right? Why do you make that decision? It's like, well, because God has asked me this is what how it should be, right? This is how I should live my life. And people are more apt to listen to me, right? Because I've shown them through my actions that I've made this decision and that I'm going to live this certain way. And not that um, not that if they have, haven't made that decision, if they've fallen into that sense that they're any less than me, right? That should be, you know, that's kind of what we learn about on Sunday mornings with the Pharisees, right? I don't condemn people for not being like me. I show them that I'm the only reason I am this way is because why? The only reason I, I am the way that I am is because God's provided me the willpower. You know, if it wasn't for God, I would be just like everybody else. I know it. I know it. I know that I would be in sin just like everybody else. I'm the God is the only reason that I have I live the life the life the way I do. We'll finally close with verse two. It says, Those who are believe who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve as the better, since they uh, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So we got this first scenario where the worker is a Christian, the boss is a non-Christian, and now we get the scenario where the boss is a Christian and the workers are non-Christian. And so we think, you know, we can kind of put ourselves in that situation that we're like, oh, 
He believes the way I do, right? Maybe I can get away with a few things, right? Maybe I can maybe not work as hard. Why? Because because he's my brother, right? He knows he knows kind of who I am. You know, we kind of relate on the same level. But Paul's like, no, 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 no. If anything, you should work harder. Why? Because he's your brother, right? Because the benefit you bring him brings benefit to all believers and to all the beloved, and ultimately brings benefit to the church. All right. So why might Paul be writing all this to Timothy that we've read tonight? What are some main ideas that we see from Paul's writing? Respect your elders. Respect your elders. Okay. Respect your masters. Respect your masters. I like that. I wrote down one to... Go ahead. Mm, look out for sin, definitely, right? And I, I think as a pastor... Um, that is one role, right? That you would look at your flock, observe your flock, find sin in your flock. Not only as a pastor, but as Christians, right? That I should look at Andrew, Andrew should look at me, you know, Josh should look at me, right? Man, I, I, I've seen you're not doing something right, man, right? Out of love, approach that, right? Out of, um, not out of shame, um, out of love, right? That I, someone would come up to me, right? I would love for someone to come at me like, hey, man, I was watching the other day and you weren't really acting the way that a Christian should act, right? I, would, I respect that, right? I, I truly do respect that. Um, and I respect the people who have the the, um, the moxie to, to do that towards me. I probably will use it again just to do it. I wrote down one that says, uh, I wrote that we should, Christians should serve faithfully, lovingly, and, and sternly right? as we approach the church, as we approach our friends, whichever it may be. And, and as we do that, we have the truth of God's word at everything that we do, right? In every action that we have, that we, we move forward in that. So what does it mean for us today? How do we apply this to our lives as we leave this church? Look out for sin. Look out for sin, right? A lot of the ways it's the same for us. Go ahead. Hold yourself and others accountable for sin. I like that. Um, respect your elders. Respect your elders, right? In the church, and masters at work. And masters at work. I like that. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely, absolutely. This is what the scripture says. Mm-hmm. And I think what we see a lot uh, all throughout the the you know Timothy here tonight that that Paul is just what we've seen a lot. Just be good, man. Right. As, as sound doctrine should be the basis of everything that you start with, right? That's what we started with. We started with the sound doctrine of everything, right? That we should look out for false teaching in our own lives or, or around us, right? Start with good doctrine and work from there. As you work from there, things reveal to you, right? You, you kind of mentioned, Andrew, as, as you grow up, uh, as starting as a young Christian, there's some things that you don't understand, right? There's one thing that you do understand. You do understand that God loves you and he gives you grace over your sin, right? That's where that's maybe even your starting point. But then there's some points where, all right, well, I've seen lately that some people think that the good Christ, a Christian life is just to be perfect. Man, that's not right, right? You begin to learn some new things. Yeah. A lot of yeah. There's a lot of things in scripture. It's like with me, I also struggle with going back to like my old ways. Not necessarily like going and just being very sinful and everything, but like feeling guilt if I don't read the book or mm. anything like that. And I used to like have guilt about not being perfect. Yeah. And like feel going it. back to that often, you just gotta learn to like that. It's a new, newer way, I guess. You could say. Mm-hmm. I like I, that. I mean, I like the difference. It's just like sometimes it's like, oh, it's easier to go back to this than to just stay on this track. It's just like crossroads. 100%. 100%. I think we, we definitely see that. And, and, and I think the a good thing to rest in is that I'm not alone, right, that people live the same Christian life I do, right, that I – I struggle just as much as you struggle. I struggle just as much as Josh struggled. And, and we look at what Paul, um, what the writer of Hebrews says, right, that Christ came to struggle just like us, to show us that it's possible to, number one, fight that, and it's possible to uh, uh, have victory over that only through through God, only through, through who he is. So, yeah, just like in our lives, right, as we've seen Timothy build, 
He builds off sound doctrine, right? Be be in some good doctrine, right? Be under some good teaching. Be under some good preaching. Whether you are teaching yourself or, or under that, grow from that point, man. Find some things in Scripture that you don't understand. Bring it to somebody else. Say, hey, man, I, I need some help understanding this, right? I, I need some help growing past this. And, and we move forward in our life. There's things that come up. There's sin that comes up. There's good works that comes up. There's opportunities to serve that come up. And, and how are we going to react to that? So next week we should, um, I think, we're going to get through the end of chapter or First Timothy. So we're going to close chapter 6 and uh, be ready. I'm not sure. I was wondering the same thing the other day. I feel like we should have by now, but... When they were doing COVID shots. shots. Yeah. yeah I'm not sure. Like yeah, it was forever ago. I don't think I... I like that spot. Oh, that is a good spot. Um, and those little side classrooms. Yeah, by the weird kitchen. yeah, I don't think we ever... Do we ever do a lesson down there? Well, I'm saying during First Timothy. Yeah, we did. That was like the first one we like ever. Did. Yeah, well, we went through Acts, right? Yeah, we did. Okay. And then like, I don't know. It's just weird right now, man. I'm ready for it to go, like, not back to normal, but like, I don't know. We're getting close. I know we are. Getting close. I liked it better with the couch. In the <laughs> Feels homier. Like, the, the mural or the glass window, it's it's beautiful, but I hate that place. <laughs> it's too sunny in there. I know what you mean. It's just like, ugh. I know and what you like mean. doing it in the gym, like, that's home away from home right there. I feel that. I feel that. Well, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there closer we to a normal. We sure have. This it's this year. A, it's been an actual year that we've been yeah, I know that's crazy to me to think how far we've come. And and it's all through God's grace. And thankfully, we've been able to continue to do First Timothy and, and continue. I'm glad to do Wednesday night studies. It's honestly the highlight of my week. Um, it's what keeps me going, right? I love to love to Wednesday teach. Mornings, that's right. We're going to get Andrew to do it one, one day. And we'll, 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 find a, we'll find a lesson for him to teach. But maybe. We'll see. Well, you want to close us in prayer? Yeah, I will. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful lesson that Nicholas gave us that you provided him dear Lord I just ask that you please uh, let us take what we learned tonight and apply it to our lives as Paul is directing Timothy dear Lord and we just love you and thank you and just watch over us protect us and help us get through the rest of this week in your loving name we pray